Hey everybody, welcome to The Theological Arsonist, episode two. I am so stoked to have my brother Andrew Davis here with me today. We're going to be discussing the sovereignty of God. And so before we get into it, I just want to introduce Andrew and I want him to just have a moment to tell you guys about himself, what he does, where he's going, what he's passionate about. So go for it, Andrew. Let us know. Absolutely, brother. Thank you. First off, dude, thank you for reaching out. This is awesome. This is such a good opportunity just to get the word out and just to have these discussions. Uh, I love the, the phrase theological arsonist. Um, it's needed, especially in the culture today. So thank you, brother. Um, I'm Andrew Davis. I am from Wake Forest, Raleigh, North Carolina. I currently attend Southeastern Seminary, uh, and I'm pursuing uh, the pastoral ministry, preaching pastoral ministry at Southeastern. And, you know, the Lord really kind of moved me in that direction. I have a big background in video production, which I do even now as a side, as, as my work as I'm in school, but do a lot of video media, content creation, social media strategy, stuff like that. So that's what I'm doing on the side. But I really just have a big passion for the word of God, proclaiming the word of God to people and just shepherding the people of God. Um, so that's a little bit about me. Um, I'm on, I met you, Jonah, through TikTok and, uh, you know, on, on Instagram and just different social media means. Um, so I'm on those platforms at the brother of Peter, but, um, which is really neat, man. That's, that's how God brought us together. Um, but yeah, that's just the direction of where, where God is taking me now. Just finished up the first year of seminary and really just taking one day at a time, man. That's all I can do at this point, studying, trying to study myself approved unto God trying to be that workman um, every day. So yeah, man. Awesome. And all the social medias that Andrew listed, I'll have those all in the bio. So make sure you guys check that out and give him a follow and support his stuff. Um, so today we're talking about the sovereignty of God. That is the real focus. And I think it's a really great way to start this whole entire thing out because the whole idea of the theological arsonist is to really get people back to what does the Bible say? What is proper theology? And how can we take Christians from this feel-good Christianity, this kind of man-centered Christianity, back to God-centered theology, which is ultimately Bible-centered? So um, to start, let's, let's define our terms and maybe just start off with talking about what does it mean when we say the sovereignty of God? What is the sovereignty of God in a nutshell? So Andrew? And yeah, absolutely. The, the sovereignty of God. Uh, I remember coming upon this and hearing this for the first time in college, and I've never heard this term before. What is sovereignty? What does it mean? The first thing I heard of, you know, thought of was this idea of a king, you know, a sovereign, somebody who's over um, a land or, or a situation or um, just a body or a kingdom, right? And right. I was thinking back to medieval times. So when I go, if you, if you were to go into a, a dictionary, you'd probably hear the word, you know, somebody who's a superior, who's a higher up, who, who has the most supreme power and authority. Um, but if you really, really wanted to put it into a nutshell, it's, the, you hear the phrase, God is in control. God is the one who is in control. God is the authority. He is over, you know, he is the authority over heaven and earth, everything he has created. There's nothing outside of his scope. He has, what he has decreed will come to pass. Right. Uh, when it comes to things in time and history, God is in control. He has that control while at the same time, and we'll get into this, you know, man is responsible in the midst of that. And right. this, the sovereignty of God really just, um, it really magnifies God's wisdom and how he lets things, you know, how, and how history plays out and how he has his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, so that's kind of in a nutshell. So, 
Yeah, that's great. I think that this is just such an important topic, especially when we're talking um, just to the, the Christian culture, specifically in the West. I think we have, yeah. generally speaking, a, a really skewed view of the sovereignty of God and ultimately where man's responsibility falls into that. And you can, I think, go to either side of an extreme where God is so sovereign that we're robots or we are so free that God is no longer sovereign. And so I think trying to find kind of that middle ground where, where do they both fit in is really yeah. helpful. So I think honestly, if we take our conversation there, just right off the bat, if we're defining God's sovereignty in relation with the fact that we make choices, we're making decisions, where does that fall into the spectrum? And maybe more specifically, we can even get into the nitty gritty of like salvation. How does salvation work? Do we respond? Is it all God? Are we, you know, where, where does that all come in? So what would you say about that? Where, where can we? Yeah. Yeah, man. When it comes to the sovereignty of God in that instance and, and how we react to it and how we are to view it as God's creation, obviously I think it's Deuteronomy 29, 29. First off, let the secret things of God belong to God. God is infinite. We are finite. We are created beings. And we are, that verse even goes on to say, we are to obtain what is revealed to us and pass that on to further generations. That which is revealed to us. And we submit to the one, that's the whole point of, of, of seeing him as sovereign. God is sovereign. And even if you were to go into that medieval time or, or that, that view of a kingdom, uh, that sovereign, that king over the kingdom, you submit to that sovereign. You submit in uh, because he is Lord. Um, you respond to that. Um, and you are to live in light of, of his rule and his authority over that land. And in the same light, God is king and authority. So practica- practically speaking, you know, when I first came upon this doctrine, understanding that when Jesus says he has all authority over heaven and earth, not just heaven, but where we are right now, I have to do something about that. You know, he is, he is all wise. The secret, I can't grasp. There is a attribute of God called the incomprehensibility of God. There is that which we will not be able to grasp in our mind, but we are able to know God through natural revelation. We know he exists and through the revealed word of God. So I must respond to that. You know, it is not only, it's my duty as his creature to do that because he is creator. I am creature. Um, but at the same time, it's a privilege to be able to respond. Um, and that's just an obedience. That's, that's in love. We get to experience his love. The more we see his law, how Paul says his law is holy. It's righteous. It's good. But he even says, even our bodies were created for holiness for God. So it's seeing that because God is sovereign, we respond to that in obedience and we actually find our identity, our purpose as created beings in submitting to that sovereignty. Um, and that's, that's one of the most beautiful things I think that Christians can understand is it's not this, this God who's seeking to, you know, enslave, you know, put this burden. No, Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And, and this is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords speaking to his creatures. Um, and so I think that was, that's just so crucial to understand is, you know, we are enslaved to sin. But the, the, the sovereign King Jesus, our Lord, he, he allows us to actually be who we are called to be, who we, who we are created to be. Right, um, right. And that's pra- practically speaking, we respond to that. We see his goodness. We actually taste and see that the Lord is good because he is when we submit to him as sovereign. Um, 
and that's just one of the most beautiful things, practically speaking. I think obviously we can get into the salvation side of it. Right. And, and that that's where you get the whole Calvinism versus Arminian debate. Right, um, right. And I'm going to be paraphrasing this, you know, but Charles Spurgeon says it really well. He says, essentially, I'm going to mess this up, but essentially you have God's sovereignty and you have man's responsibility and, and, and they're on this train track. Um, and we see these two things, but when we look into the distance, we see on the horizon, these two, you know, lines on the track come together as one. And that's going to be what we see in eternity. But then Spurgeon also mentions as well that we see sovereignty and human responsibility in the Bible. And right. when somebody, when somebody tells us, how do you reconcile that? Spurgeon would say, why would you need to reconcile two friends? Right. If it's in scripture. Right. And God reveals it to us. These are not, you know, they, they are not irreconcilable in the mind of God. Thus, going back to the, this is who God is. Uh, we submit to this. Um, he is the, He is authority. But these things don't need to be reconciled. They're not at, at at arms with each other. They're not against each other. They're at enmity with each other. They're actually going hand in hand. And and it just shows God's wisdom. Uh, the fact that we have that responsibility. The fact that we are called and, and will be judged for our, our deeds and our actions, uh, it, yet he is sovereign. He has predestined the people, right, for himself, adopt right. into that adoption as sons. Talk about a, an all-wise God. Yeah. Everything that he has set forth will come to pass while men are responsible and have a, an ability to choose that which they want, right? Right. Uh, so... Um, just in a nutshell, you see that, uh, you see that God is the sovereign. We are the responsible agents. Um, but he is the mover going to scripture. He's always the initiator. He's always the one choosing initiating with his people. Uh, and it's, and it's like he says to the Israelites, uh, it's not because of anything that was in you. It's simply because I loved you. You were actually weaker than everybody else. This is who God is. He's sovereign. But we have to remember that eternal love is sitting upon the throne. And, and that's something that, it, you know, we have to apply. We bring back all the attributes of God and set those attributes upon the throne of God as that sovereign. And then, and then you're just like, wow, all wise, all loving, all just, all wrath. I mean, it, it, it's, I want to worship a God like that. I right. want to worship a God like that. But that, that's kind of all over the place. But Not yeah. elevating one attribute over another. But exactly. Exactly. He's holy. Every attribute he has is is holy in and you know he has right. a holy love a whole you know the sovereignty in and of itself is is holy so just yeah. seeing that holiness in the sovereignty as well yeah definitely i think one of the the best examples i can think of of the the sovereignty of god mixing with human responsibility is is the death of christ yes that totally ordained and orchestrated and determined by god that jesus would go to the cross he would die and yet God didn't force the Pharisees to do what they did. He didn't force Pilate to do what he did. He didn't force the Romans to nail him to the cross. They acted on the desires of their heart. And yet yeah. God was totally sovereign over that entire situation. You know, and so it's it's this blending of man's responsibility. They will be held accountable. Every evil yeah. will be held accountable. But at the same time, there is nothing that comes to pass that God is not totally in control of, you know? Amen. So, so going off of this, when it comes to salvation, and this is a tricky one, and this is why I want to go there, because I think that it's good to talk about. Sure. Are we totally dead, incapable of ever turning and choosing God 
until he awakens that within us. What would you, what were your thoughts be in terms of the state of before we are saved going to basically outside of Christ versus in Christ? What takes place there? Do we have a role in that or is it all a hundred percent God or is it a hundred percent God, a hundred percent us, you know, like yeah. what are your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. I remember speaking with a buddy about this back in October, we were in Provo, Utah and uh, <laughs> we had just gotten back from, kind of evangelizing uh the mormon people over there and this topic came up and it's like all right so are we dead is it got you know is it all god is do we have a part to play um and, and you know i mentioned romans chapter one men suppress the truth yeah. uh they don't want the truth there's an ac- active suppression um and then he asked me the question you know and then i mentioned you know but men are spiritually dead in their sin as well and then he says then he told me so how does a dead man suppress the truth and I, that really got me thinking, you know, it really did. And so when I, when I see Paul say that you're dead in your sin, it's the, it's a spiritual deadness. Men are alive in the flesh. Their, their soul is active. They're moving, but that spiritual deadness in which I look at Titus chapter three, that it's according to God's own mercy, the washing of regeneration, um, where, where it's, it's a work of God alone, a monergistic work. You have the monergism and synergism. Yeah. Um, and I would, I would, I believe fully that it is God's doing salvation to take the blinds off somebody who is enslaved to the prince of the power of the air. Um, that's, I, that's, I am incapable. Every, no one is capable of removing spiritual darkness and, and blindness from people's eyes. Only God can do that. Right. And I, and I really have to ask myself, yes, I look to, I look to the cross, but I also have a mindset of, you know, I, I look to the judgment seat, right? I'm not going to be able to boast about anything on that day. I won't be able to boast about my salvation. I won't be able to boast about any decision, decision making that I did. I won't even, you know, I won't even be able to say I made a better decision for Christ than that person. I didn't do it. God did that. Um, and so, yes, I, I see, you know, the same God, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in me, but only because he, he raised me from spiritual death to spiritual life. I have died with Christ. That was not my doing. It was a, regenerating work of the Holy spirit. Um, yeah. Yeah, man. And in Ephesians two as well, you know, you see that picture while you were dead in your sins, God made you alive together with Christ. And so it again, just affirms that, um, that he's totally sovereign over that. Amen. So a huge question that I, that I get a lot. And I think a lot of people struggle with, especially when we're talking about the sovereignty of God is the idea of evil, the idea that evil exists that pain exists, that wickedness. We look at our culture right now, you know, and there's, there's a lot of stuff going on. And I think some people have a hard time looking and saying, if God is totally sovereign, why would a good loving God allow this to happen? How do we as Christians who preach very strongly that God is totally sovereign also simultaneously ask a difficult answer, a difficult question like that? Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, this is something I grapple with. I don't have the yeah, full answer yeah. to this. Um, I don't but know I think we ever will. <laughs> uh, we ever will. Right. Um, but I think it's, it's beautiful. We know as God has revealed himself, he is holy. He is pure. He is righteous. There is no evil within him. There's no evil that he is ever going to be held accountable. He is God. He's pure. No evil ever exudes and comes out from him um, right. as, as he has revealed himself. Um, but why has all this occurred? Why is there evil in the world? All these things. I think John MacArthur really paints this out well, uh, paraphrasing here. But, you know, with the fall of man, with things going 
down to the point of the cross of Jesus Christ, the redemption of mankind, dead in their sin, bringing brought to salvation, but also a judgment day where the wicked will be judged. Um, you see God be, you know, demonstrating the fullness of his attributes. Uh, with evil being in the world, he, he gets full glory from his wrath. He gets full glory from his justice. He gets full glory from showing the severity of those things and how much he hates that which is evil. And then that, that you know, also in, in juxtaposition to that, that magnifies his love and his mercy and his um, grace to his people. So with this wisdom, this plan of redemption, with evil being in the mix, we have an answer for evil. It's called Judgment Day. Yeah. And God is going to make every wrong right. Um, now, you know, and so when it comes to the fall and, and, and the, what was Adam and Eve's, you know, will, and I, I, I don't know, I can't, I, that's something that's a secret thing unto God. And I haven't de- delved into that, but um, I do know that he's faithful. He's trustworthy. His word is true. Um, and <laughs> you looked at that day, you looked at that day when all evil is done away with and in the mind of God, it's, it's, it's done. You know, we know the end, we know the end game. We know how he views evil. Um, we know the nature that he, the, the nature of God that he reflects towards evil and his view on evil, um, which, which gives us even more confidence, um, in who he is. So, yeah, definitely. I think one of, one of the passages that I, I grapple with when it comes to this is, uh, just honestly, the whole entire book of Job, because you start yeah. that book and here's God, Satan's roaming up, pacing back and forth on the earth, comes before the throne of God, and God turns to Satan and says, have you considered my servant Job? God initiates yes. in that case, and you just, you go, wait a second, what's going on? And then yes. when, when Satan says, you know, strike out your hand on him and he will reject you, and then God says, he is in your hand. And so yeah. there's this, this, this simultaneous Satan is carrying out the evil, but God is sovereign over what Satan is doing. Yes. And then right after that, Job totally bypasses Satan, doesn't even acknowledge him. And he says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. But still, I will say, blessed be the name of the Lord. And so you see right there that Job doesn't even see the devil as the ultimate cause. I shouldn't say cause of evil, but doesn't see the, de- the devil is totally sovereign over evil. He recognizes yes. that God is the one who's ultimately Amen. in control. So I think, that's, yeah. and then you get to the end of the book and Job is repenting. Yeah. You know, it's just a remarkable. And so th- this is why it's, to me, this is such an important topic is what we see is God is so sovereign and so holy that even when the worst possible situations come upon Job and he is questioning why God did what he did, God is saying, who are you, oh man? Amen. <laughs> I'm, I, I was, I was, Yes. I was thinking the exact same thing, brother. The who are you, oh man? And and Psalm 50, when the Psalm, you know, God is speaking to Israel, the people, and, and he says, You made the mistake of thinking I was just like you. Yeah. No, he is high and lifted up. Romans 9. Who are you, oh man, to speak back? Does the potter not have rights to the clay? We are the clay. Who are we? Who are we at the end of the day? And I I, I go back to the psalmist. The Lord is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases in heaven and on earth. He is over it all. And, and at the end of the day, he has rights over me, over you, over all things. And the, the cattle on a thousand hills is the Lord's. 
um, you know, at from, from riches to, to, to the poorest of the poor, it's his right, everything. Right. And that's where we have to remain. And the pride of life, the pride of man, the, the boast of his, the boast of his eyes and flesh and heart, man, is, is that's what clouds us. We hate right, authority. Right. We right. hate authority. We hate government authority. And that's, that's what we see today, especially, but yes, man, who are we? I would say that's the root of unbelief is it's, it's this desire to be God. You know, I mean, I just look back to the garden, right? You see the very first sin ever committed came from the temptation that what you have is not enough. You can become like God, you know? And uh, as you said, I, I think you mentioned that you were, you were ministering and evangelizing to Mormons. Did you say? Yeah, their whole ideology that we can become gods one day, you know, it it roots right back to that original sin and that original temptation. Exactly. Desire of every human deep down that we want to be our own gods. We want to be the ultimate authority. And that's why you have atheism and stuff like that, because ultimately people don't want to have to answer to anybody. They don't like the, the thought of accountability. And so I think that this is so important because, uh, the whole, the whole mission with this podcast is, I see and, and I'm burdened by the fact that in, in the Christian church, I see so many people who claim Christ who exude the same sort of demeanor, the same sort of behavior that ultimately, this is all about me. <laughs> ultimately, yeah. salvation, this whole thing, it's about me because God thinks that I'm just the greatest thing that ever happened. You know, and I, I just, it's so backwards. It's so yeah. backwards. When we study the scriptures and I think of Colossians, where all things were created by him and for him, Amen. not for us, for him. And so kind of following along that, I want to make things as practical as I can with these conversations. Uh, sure. So let's just talk about the whole idea that everything was created by him and for him. What is God's declared purpose for the world? How are we involved in that? Because we are, praise the Lord for that. How are we involved in that? And how do we I guess maybe the best way to ask this is what is the proper response on our part to the fact that we're caught up in this salvation story that we have nothing to do with, you know? Amen, brother. Like you said, you mentioned Colossians, um, you know, for in him, all things were created things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. I mean, the for him, like you just said, it's about him. God is the greatest good. God is the greatest good. And that's, that's why when we preach Christ, it, it's even when we preach the gospel and there's no salvation, we don't see somebody respond and repent and trust in Christ. His glory is, is still going forth through your proclamation. And that's it. It's the glory of God. I want God's name. God wants his name to be spoken highly of in all the nations and all the world through all creation, everything that he's created. Speak highly of your creator honor your creator, bring glory and praise because of who he is. And that's what it's all about. I was created to know. I mean, this is uh, one of the catechisms. And when you look at church history, yep. we were created to know God and to enjoy him forever. Yep. And that's the, that's the essence of, of, of the duty of man, of, of the, of our created, why we were created in the first place is to bring honor back to God. And, and we, like Romans 1, we, we exchange that truth for a lie and we serve created things rather than the creator God, blessed be his name. Right. And, and that's where we go, man. That's where we go. It's for him. How do we respond to that practically? When, 
when it comes to spiritual disciplines, and, and I think that's where we start, when it comes to prayer, when it comes to Bible reading, when it comes to learning and, and being taught by the Holy Spirit with, you know, through in, when you're in solitude, when you're with the, in the word, when you're with your brothers and sisters, teachers and preachers that God has put in your life, it, it's understanding how, how do I approach a sovereign God? You know, when you, if you were to approach a king or, or a president or whatever, you're not just going to come, you're going to come in a holy fear and reverence and awe for his office, for who he is. And obviously magnifying that times a trillion for holy God. Um, And so it's having that mind first before you do anything. How am I approaching God in prayer? Am I just viewing, you know, no, he's not my doormat. He is holy, 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 thrice holy God. Um, So starting with the mind, renew your mind with that truth of who is this God I come. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and understanding. I don't want to be a fool in life. I want to have practical wisdom. That's like the beginning of practical living in Proverbs. And that's fear the Lord. So start there. Fear God, holy reverence. Know that he is to be feared, but he is love. And we respond to that um, in obedience. Um, as a duty, we are, it is our duty as creatures of God to obey him, to do his will. But it's also as, as those who have been redeemed as sinners, it's a privilege to herald grace. And it's not this burden. It's not, I, you know, I don't have to put myself under the curse of the law again. No, Christ has fulfilled all the requirements, the righteous requirements of the law so that I am free. I'm free. And I'm actually able to see why and what, what I can do, we, what I'm can, supposed to do. Yeah, we can now risk obeying. Amen. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, have, not, it's amen. not a matter of I, I need to do this to measure up. It's a matter of I get to do this. Amen. It's, it's he, a privilege he, now. He freed us from the, the, the measuring up. And now we, I'm, I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase it. I, I, I have it written down as a little quote somewhere that I wrote because I liked it. It sounded like a little catchphrase or something, but basically it's the idea that we, we don't obey to get into right standing with God. Our right standing with God flows into our desire to obey. You know, it's just, it's a, it's an incredible thing. It really is. Yes. Yes. Yes, man. And and we work from that position. We are, it's not, it's not as if Christ redeemed, you know, Christ has saved us and, opened our eyes and saved us and just leaves us to, to work, work, work. We're not God's employees. We're not here to get a biweekly check of grace. We are sons in the family. We are sons and a son. What is, what is Jesus saying? John eight, the slave does not remain in the house, but the son remains in the house forever. He whom the son sets free is free indeed. Um, And that's that. And we bring it back. That's the sovereign God speaking to you. Right. If you're in Christ, he doesn't leave you to dry. He shows you the way. He shows you the path of righteousness. And guess what? He gives you by his spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.16, the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. We have the spirit of Christ. And we see the world and actually want to act. Our will has been regenerated, changed, so that we desire what he desires. And that's the outflow. It's, it's, a, it's a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away new i'm a new creature and i act like a new creature because i am that's what i am I, you know it's, it's him so 
Yeah. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. You know, I love that. I love that picture. Yeah. That's beautiful, man. I think that, um, like you were saying, I think one of the most practical things for people to really, I, 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 when we're talking about a sovereign God and approaching a sovereign God, that idea of the holy reverence for him is so key. But then also the picture that he reveals to us in scripture that we are his sons and he reveals himself as a father. Yeah. Just remarkable because a father is approachable. A father is somebody you can sit down with. A father is somebody you want to give a big hug to, you know? So it's this, it's this dichotomy of balancing this idea that through Christ, we are reconciled to an otherwise terrifying God. Yes. Because he is so righteous and so holy, you know, and I, I, I even think he is so sovereign that those who receive him are his, his mercy is elevated, but those who reject him, he's still getting all the glory from their rejection because his justice is elevated, you know? And so there's no, there's no situation that either side can end up in, in where, and where God's glory is not elevated to the absolute highest capacity. You know, he right. will get all the glory. That is definite. Um, yeah. And I think Paul sums it up, man. He says, you know, why all these things, you know, when it comes to it, to the praise of his glorious grace. And that's where it comes down to. It's the holy fear reverence, but it's a father. I'm a son. And all this, the unsearchable riches of Christ, I, it's unto the praise of his grace. Yep. And that's what it's going to, that's what it's going to be when all things are made new. So. Amen to that. Yeah. I think, I think that's, that's one of the coolest things about the sovereignty of God is not just that we know that he's totally in control of everything that has happened and is happening, but that he's given us a final destination, a final conclusion to this whole thing that is written in stone. Right. I think that that's just one of the most powerful things is we can read. And this ultimately goes back to where, how do we know that God is sovereign? How do we know these things? Well, because scripture tells us. And so um, I guess something that I I really want to elevate in this show is the inerrancy and the foundational nature of God's word, sola scriptura, you know, really reinforcing that. And so how do we approach scripture when it comes to understanding God, knowing God, because here's the deal. There are so many people who claim to be Christians, so many people who are reading the Bible and saying all sorts of things and it's totally off. Yeah. And we go, but they're reading from the Bible. So how can they be? Well, because they're imposing their own interpretation on scripture. And so how do we, with the idea of God's sovereignty, approach scripture, knowing that we as fall as, as man, we we're fallible, we can make mistakes, but God's word never does. So how do we get that balance of preserving what God's word actually says versus imposing our own presuppositions into the text? I know that's a, that's a deep one and I, we didn't yeah, really prep for this, but we no, should. No, man. Uh, I think it's seeing, it starts with the nature of God. He said, he's going to preserve his word. He yeah, said, yeah. he's going to be faithful to his sheep, to his people. And it, it, at the end of the day, it's, it's a, it's a certainty about, is this the word of God? 
you know, at the end of the day, if you want to be certain, and this is more epistemological, but if you want to be certain about anything, you either have to know all things or you have to have a revelation from somebody who does know all things. And that is why this word, you can get into epistemology and presupp, presupp, presupp uh, apologetics all you want. But um, at the end of the day, it starts with him. Uh, and, and the fact that this word is authoritative and as I'm, as I'm seeing false teachers and I'm seeing these people thwart scripture and I'm seeing all this, even, you know, we should be marking these people out like Paul says in Romans, but I, I see God's faithfulness because he said his word said this would happen. Yeah. And he sees, he's already before, you know, he sees our coming and our going, um, and he's over it. Um, and so I see the faithfulness of God, even in that his sheep. The church of Christ right now is is thriving, and I'm not talking the the nominal Christian church. I'm talking the the bride of Christ Amen. is in you know is going to accomplish what God has set for it to accomplish, right. and uh, right. that's that's comforting. That's yeah. comforting. He Christ is on the earth by His Spirit through His body, and that's us. And those who are evil doers and twisters and create twistianity you can call it um they have their part man they have their part uh whether that be in the lake of fire we pray that they find mercy and grace but um <laughs> the end of the day man he has promised to preserve the word he has promised and, and because of that word that revelation and that certainty is there we have hope we have hope amen. in the midst of it amen to that yeah i i going back to what you were saying earlier about the, the great commission, you know, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And the call then is therefore go, therefore yes. go and make disciples. You know, there's an assurance in that. The assurance is that the therefore follows after all authority Amen. has been given to me in both heaven and earth. And I think one of the most powerful things is when you go and pray the Lord's prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, just as it is in heaven. And I wonder yes. how many of us pray that and, and actually understand what we're saying. You know, yeah. the same way that your will is being done in heaven, make that so on earth, Lord. And Amen. when we see Jesus saying, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. We've been commissioned to make that possible. We are, we are predestined by God to be his vessels in which his mercy is displayed through to the world. Um, which again, just, just ties right back into the sovereignty of God um, moving through the will of man, moving through us as his vessels, you know, and it's just, it's remarkable, man. It really, it really floors me to think about. Amen, brother. What do you have to say on those passages? You got anything? Whew. Oh man. Not only is, does he have all authority on heaven and on earth, but that same God, that same sovereign God promises to be with us to yep. the end of the age, yep. to the end of the age. And I'm telling you, man, we've lost that as well. We yep. see God as sovereign. And I think that even many people can get deep into theology and um, we all believe we can believe God is sovereign. But do you really, what, what would you do different if you truly trusted and believed that he is with you now? He is with you right now. Right. Um, so, and yeah, so just, just to add on to that. Yeah, absolutely.
I think uh, another verse that where we're going to go full blown eschatology here in a second, if we're not careful, but uh, the, the verse that talks about he must reign until yeah. all his enemies have been made a footstool for his feet. That verse to me gives unbelievable amount of comfort and assurance of, of the plan of God's sovereign plan going forward. Yeah. Um, especially with how often it's quoted. It's like one yes. of the most quoted verses in the new Testament. And uh, yeah, it's just a beautiful, beautiful verse. So I got, I got another question here. I want to, sure. I want to go to my notes here to make sure we're on schedule, but um, I want to kind of go back and just talk about specifically, I'm not a big fan of labels and most people are a big fan of labels. They like their labels. They like to hear, are you Calvinist? Are you Arminian? So I want to kind of go back to those specific branches and groups of theology that are really, it's, it's more talking about salvation, how salvation comes about. But I think that that's one of the most important parts of understanding God's sovereignty. And so I really want to just kind of talk about maybe some of the strengths of Calvinism, some of the weaknesses of Calvinism, some of the strengths of Arminianism, and some of the weaknesses. Um, and so I just kind of want to hear from you. If you had to pick one side or the other, not that you have to, where do you find you line up? Are you more reformed? Are you not? And yeah. uh, if you had uh, some critiques of, of both, what would they be? Sure. Sure, man. Um, I grew up in a very Arminian atmosphere. Yeah. Um, and when I started, when the Lord really quickened me in, in, in the faith in college, I, I started just seeking the word. What does the word say? I don't care what anybody says. What does the word say? Trusted teachers. And I started leaning. I definitely lean more reform um, in, in the essence of the word. I mean, I, I heard the word Calvinism when I grew up and I thought it was <laughs> it was not what it is, if that right. makes sense. Yep, yep, um, yep exactly. <laughs> the same thing for me. I'm like, these guys are wacko. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, if I can be a bit more practical on the critique of Calvinism, I think we can get so he heady with our knowledge. Yes. Um, and I see a lot of people like this. I, you hear about the cage stage. You hear about all that. Um you get so much head knowledge, but you don't allow that. You, you're not praying through it. You're not, it's not sinking into your will, your heart. Yeah. And, and that's where I think we can go wrong. I, I, I would, I lean that way because it brings most glory to God yeah. in all things. And that's what I want. My heart is to scream Lord to the praise of your, your glorious grace. Yeah. And, and that's what this doc, the doctrine does. Um, yeah. And I mean, when you think of Arminianism, uh, you know, God, I hear you hear it all the time, even on maybe a social media, TikTok. you know, God is, God is a gentleman. He's never going to, you know, force anybody against her or whatever, you know, but it, you know, you can dumb it down to that level. But at the end of the day, I was talking to a buddy, uh, Will Hendrick on my Instagram last night, you know, and he made a beautiful statement when God, if you are God's sheep, he's going to have you. And that's that. And to know it's not this tyrant, it's eternal love pursuing that which was lost um and that's that's where the beauty comes in is oh i just got chills man seriously that's that's the essence of it um you know eternal love pursuing that which was lost uh, that which was already his from eternity past um and you know god's not looking down the corridors of time seeing oh is he gonna pick me no 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 
no, no. He is, what he has decreed will come to pass. Yeah. He, he is beginning, the beginning and the end. Um, I am. So, yeah. Yeah, man. Part of why I brought it up and you, you're doing a great job going exactly where I wanted to go with it. But part of why I brought it up is I think that one of the problems when we talk about God's sovereignty, because it's such an immense topic, is yes. all too often people marry themselves to isms. They like mm. to, okay, I'm a Calvinist. In which case, are we yes. really reading scripture for scripture? Or are we following John Calvin, you know, right. and, and vice versa. And so the main reason I wanted to bring it up is really like, again, just showing God is bigger than an ism. Amen. God is bigger than the labels that we put on him, you know, and are, is there truth in both sides? I, I think so. You yeah. know, and the best way that I would, I would explain it probably, and you can, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but Calvinism gives a more of God's picture of how salvation works. Yeah. Arminianism gives a bit of a stronger picture to man's perspective of how salvation works from God's perspective. Everything's determined. We are predestined. We are yeah. chosen. We are handpicked. His grace is irresistible. We are totally depraved. All of the, all of the five points right. and from man's perspective, which we also see in, in scripture, there's a call to repent, to be reconciled. Amen. I implore you be reconciled as Paul teaches, you know, yes. so you see both. You see yeah. a call for mankind to repent and be restored and be reconciled to God. And yet you see that there is not a single sheep that will be lost, you know, and no one yeah. can come to the father unless the father draws them as Christ yes. talks about in John six. Um, so I, I think that it's really important. And again, the reason I brought it up is I, I don't want people to get carried away with marrying themselves to isms and boxing God in. Even though Calvinism seems to be, hey, we're upholding the sovereignty of God, I truly believe they do a great job of that for the most part. But again, when you throw a label on it, you have now boxed God into five points as opposed to letting him be big and letting us yes. be small. Right, brother. You hit the nail on the head. And when we can remove those isms from the sense of creating enmity with other people, yeah, we can actually. I, I genuinely believe we can actually proclaim with Paul, looking at both. Oh, the manifold wisdom of God. Yeah. Oh, the manifold wisdom of God. That's what these two things, these two positions, they're both in Scripture. Right. Oh, how wise our God is, and how little we are. Like you said, that's right. where it comes. That's where we bow the knee to that to our sovereign, and say, "Thank you, Lord." Let us give thanks. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I think it was either, it's either a psalm or a pro. I think it might be a proverb, but it says, you know, the heart of man uh, plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And right Amen. there, again, you see a marriage. The man is doing something, but God is ultimately directing the steps. And so, yeah, having both is is wonderful. So I don't know exactly what else to talk about in terms of this topic uh, to, to go deeper or not. Uh, I think sure. we've covered a decent amount. But what I really want to do is, again, I want to bring this kind of full circle and just say to people watching who maybe don't have access to a really solid Bible believing church, or they're, or they're hearing things that we're saying that are, is inconsistent in the stuff they've been taught. And maybe the perspective of God's sovereignty hasn't been spoken quite the way it has today. How can we implore them to 
to, to go forward? How, how do we, what is the call to, to Christians? How do, what do we take from this knowledge about who God is, his sovereignty, the way we approach him, the way we view him? Where do we go? Yes, sir. When it comes to anything, your theology, anything before God, we're not, we're not having this conversation right now saying, oh, look where we've gotten in our knowledge. You know, look where we've, no. Where you start with that is God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And that's where it starts in, in anything when you're trying to learn doctrine or trying to understand the things of the word that God has given us. When you humble yourself and say, God, show me your truth. Jesus Christ, show me your truth with trusted men of God, men and women of God around you. God, God, there's no opposition from God in, in that pride. And right. you're not clouded with that. God, you know, another word I like to use for grace is generosity. God can pour that generosity from himself upon you as he calls us to, as Paul would tell Timothy, study yourself approved unto God. Study, 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 remove, you know, remove Western imposed thought. Yeah. And let's go to the Hebraic understanding. Let's go to the immediate context. I want to, I want to know the culture. I want to know the history, what was happening, all these things, you know, be able to ask questions and say, why, you know, you know, what does this mean? Um, be, and that requires humility. And I know I don't have it all figured out, but I know that every time I truly humble myself before the Lord, he brings me to guys just like you, Jonah, who are on the same track. And he's faithful to bring us into that circle of his people. Um, so I think that's where you start with it, man, for sure. Yeah. One of the things you said there that I, I think is so, so important is ask questions. Yeah. You know, I think we, we live in a time where sometimes asking questions can be seen as a weakness. You know, if you're yeah. asking questions, you don't know, man, I, I've got to tell you growing up, I had so many questions and so many of them I kept inside because yeah. I was too scared to ask them. And my, my spiritual walk suffered because of it. I had misconstrued views about who God is, how his yeah. redemptive plan works. And even just the the vastness of him you know the the, yeah. the the immense just who he is i had i had him stuffed down to a little teddy bear sized god you know and hmm. um so yeah i think anybody watching ask questions ask yes. questions go to your church leadership ask them questions sit down with somebody you trust ask them questions if you have doubts, you know, the Bible says, have mercy on those who doubt, you know, we should be, we should be embracing people who have doubts and saying, let's work through that. Let's talk about that. That's, you know, that's really, really, really important. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, man. Yeah. It, that's, that's where I, that's how I got to where I'm, where, where I'm at today is, or I should say where the Lord has brought me because where, where this journey started was when I was in college, how do I know I'm saved? Right. I started asking questions. How do I know this? And ultimately that moved me into reformed theology and yeah. understanding like I can't lose something I never earned. Yeah. You know, he gave yeah. it to me as a gift and all that. So yes, questions, yeah. please. Um, even God says, come to Job, you know, come let us reason together. God wants to, he's a God of reason. He's a God of understanding and is willing to give that to you right. as you seek. Yeah. Not the author of confusion. That's right. So important. Yeah. 
Well, man, this has been really wonderful. And I, I hope it's been edifying for those who are listening. Um, hey, first podcast, show me some grace if this was a lame conversation, but I, I feel blessed and I, I, I really appreciate you coming on here and sharing your heart and, and your wisdom with us, man. Hey, man, brother. Dude, I've so enjoyed it. Dude, thank you so much for just having me on as well. You've been a blessing to me and your ministry and just you preaching the word. Your zeal for the Lord and your, your zeal for the word, brother, has helped push me further into study and into proclamation. So, dude, thank you so much. God bless. Yeah, man. Yeah, this is great. Well, I want to just close in a word of prayer. I don't see a lot of podcasts doing that. I think that that's a great way to just end and close. So I'll say yeah. a word of prayer and then we'll go from there. All right. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just, we draw near to you, Lord, right now. And I just want to thank you for my, my brother, Andrew, Lord, for uh, being willing to come on this show, Lord, for being willing to talk about your sovereignty, Lord. Uh, it's an immense topic and we we really scratched just the surface today, Lord, and um, we as humans, God, are, are so tiny in comparison to you, and you are so immense, Lord. Your wisdom is beyond comprehension, your holiness and righteousness beyond ours, Lord, and we're so thankful that we don't have to stand on our own righteousness, Lord, but that we can, we can stand on the righteousness of Christ who sacrificed himself while we were yet sinners. Um, God, I just thank you for Andrew. I pray a blessing over his ministry. I pray a blessing over his studies, Lord. And I pray that you would just continue to, to bless him and speak through him, Lord. Uh, what a wonderful man of God. And I, I feel very blessed to know him. In your precious name, Jesus, we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. Yes, sir.